0: cool so uh, glad you're here today and uh, i'm uh just want to share with you a thought uh before we get into the message today but man you look around and uh this is a holiday weekend kind of holiday week and man the auditorium's is packed out amen and uh, that's a good problem for us to have and we're praying and planning and dreaming about our next steps and um are going to be working on uh what what does god want for us next as a church and um Uh, Should we go to two services? Should we do some overflow stuff? Should we uh, build again? You know, all those different things. And, uh, you know, some of those questions um, can be incredibly daunting and a bit overwhelming. But I know this, that our God is bigger than any obstacle that we face. Right? Amen? And if we're a people that have a desire to live on mission for the cause of Christ and for the sake of the gospel, and if we desire to get the good news to people who need the hope of Jesus Christ, um, Hudson Taylor said, who founded the China Inland Mission, said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's resources. William Carey, the father of modern missions, said, attempt great things for God and expect great things for God. And if there's one thing that I desire for our church, or one of the things that I desire for our church, is that we would, that we would be a people that has such a, uh, uh, such a great faith that we leave that legacy to our children and to our grandchildren. That one day when we're old and gray, and um, I've already got a little bit of gray, not as much as some of you other cats out there today, but I'm getting some gray. But one day when we're sitting on the front porch or we're sitting out in the the parking lot and we look at our kids and we look at our grandkids and we say to them, man, how did they get that kind of faith? They got it from their moms and their dads and their grandmas and their grandpas who were willing to walk by faith and do great things for God. And that's our hope. That's our prayer. That's our vision. And that's our dream. So be in prayer with us about that. And this series is entitled "When the Devil Knocks." And I'm fired up about this uh, teaching series. I'm teaching today. Um, uh, the first uh, the first message. Then Mike's next week, and the following week I'm teaching again. And I believe there's some incredible truths in this passage uh, and in this series that's going to impact your life, but not just your life, but also your friends and family and your co-workers and people that you know that are far from God. And so. We want to encourage you that in each one of these series, that God's going to bring people in your path that 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 need to hear about uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, and so make sure that that you're on the lookout for those folks that uh, may need to hear a good word uh, from the Lord. Now, one of the greatest things as we begin and kick off this series, one of the greatest tricks the devil ever pulled, one of the greatest things that he's ever done was to convince the world that he doesn't exist. And I, I'm going to be honest with you; I was a bit hesitant. About wanting to speak on the topic of Satan or the devil. The reason is, is because when you talk about it, especially in our culture, in our world today, it, it feels a, a bit hokey, right? Doesn't it? And like, who wants to really talk about Satan and spiritual forces? But in reality, the Bible speaks to the fact that Satan is a real being, right? He's a real being that that does exist, and the devil is real, and he's not He's not like what we've uh, seen drawn or what we've seen portrayed. He's not a little red man with horns, with a tail, and with a pitchfork. In fact, his name is Lucifer. He's one of three archangels created by God. There was Michael and Gabriel, which we hear about uh, in the New Testament when they announced the birth of Christ, and then there was Lucifer. Lucifer, Satan as we know him, was the angel of worship. He was full of, of wisdom, and he was perfect in beauty. Now. As one of the three archangels, he was kind of into himself a little bit too much. He was proud. In fact, he wanted to be worshipped just like God was being worshipped by all the other angels. And it was for that reason that he got kicked out of heaven. In fact, God cast him down with uh, about a third of the angels that were in, uh, in heaven at the time. Now we, we reference them and we know them as demons. And uh, because you and I are made in the image of God, he hates everything about you and he hates everything about me. Now, the truth is most people don't believe that the devil exists. And if we do believe the devil exists, we tend not to take that reality very seriously. We don't tend to, to, to really consider it. And so I want to say this morning, I want us to hold intention in this series a couple different things. One is, let's not give too much credit to the devil. I mean, on one hand, I mean, you got kids, and like, have your kids ever said to you, like, wait, why'd you do that? And your kid's like, the devil made me do it. Now, you did that because you're depraved and you're a sinner and far from God and you need the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? No, the devil didn't make you do that. You're just selfish, right? Um, I think Flip Wilson said that, right? Some of you old timers know Flip Wilson. Is that right? Can I get an amen today? Right? Amen. I don't know who Flip Wilson is. I just read that somewhere, right? I'm going to have to Google that later. Flip Wilson said that. Like, I said that like I knew him, right? But on the other hand, we have to hold in tension the reality that, yeah, while the devil didn't make us do it, the devil is not your friend. He's your enemy. He's your adversary. He's your accuser, and he's out to deceive you and to destroy and ruin your life. Now, C.S. Lewis, who wrote The Chronicles of Nardia and, and Mere Christianity and other books, he says this, there's no neutral ground in the universe, There's no neutral ground in the universe. Every square inch, every split second is claimed by God, and it's also counterclaimed by Satan. This series is designed to equip you and arm you for battle, and it's a battle that we can win. Amen? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. We want to teach you some things to arm you to battle Satan and to resist him, because the Bible says resist the devil and he will flee from you. Ephesians 4.27, I think this is a great verse to mark down if it's not in your notes today. Give no opportunity, give no, give no place for the devil. And I think in a lot of ways what we need to do is uh, lock the doors to your house. Close the windows to your house. Do not give the devil a space or an opportunity to tempt you or trip you up or to ruin your life. Because our adversary, the devil, is a deceiver. And we must be vigilant in resisting his schemes, his lies, and his ways. John 8.44 says this, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and he's the father of lies. So on one hand, we have Jesus who is truth. Everything that he says is honest and good and right and everything that Satan says is a lie and it's wrong and it's out to ruin your life. James 4.7 says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Now here's the, here's the overall arching point that we want to look at today. The central idea, the big idea of our message today is this. Satan is a deceiver who will attack your mind with lies. Please write that down today, that's some truth today. I'm just drop like, I'm dropping some truth on you today, right? Satan is a deceiver that wants to attack your mind with lies. what's amazing about the Word of God is we can go all the way back to creation. We can go all the way back to the book of Genesis chapter number 3. And we can read an account that is not a fable, but it's an accurate, historic narrative of truth that God has given you and me to know how Satan approaches us, how he tempts us, how he tries to destroy and ruin our lives. And we can look at this account found in the Word of God, and we can see how Satan tries to ruin our lives, and we can't equip ourselves to stand on that day when we're tempted to disobey God and step outside of his will for our lives. One thing that we see in this passage of Scripture, the first thing that we see in this passage of Scripture is found in verse number 1. Mike read that this morning, and it says, The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And the first thing that we see this morning, and just very simply stated, is this. The certainty of the devil in his subtle deception or, or uh, sed, uh, subduction, uh, seduction. The word in this passage, he says, the serpent was more crafty. The word crafty is not used uh, in a good sense. When the word crafty is used here, it doesn't mean like he's into arts and crafts. It doesn't mean that he's a, a scrapbooker, okay? I know some of you guys like doing that. That's not what it's talking about. It's not even talking about the fact that he's crafty and he, he crafted a great deal. The word crafty in this passage of Scripture means uh, subtle, cunning, and clever. Now, in Ephesians 6, verse number 11, I think this is in your notes today, it says this, put on the whole armor of God that you might be able to stand against the schemes, okay, the schemes of the devil. Now, that word schemes in the original languages means the strategies of the devil. You see, the enemy's number one strategy, Satan's number one strategy against you and me and it's used on every person who has ever lived that causes us to fall into sin is temptation. If we could destroy the enemy's ability to use temptation in our life, he would instantly be power powerless. So we find, first and foremost, in this passage of scriptural passage of scripture, the reality of or the certainty of Satan himself. We see that. In fact, we see not just the reality of. Satan himself, but we also see his strategy to seduce us and to trick us and to ruin and destroy everything good that God wants to do in our life. Everything good that God wants to do, Satan wants to destroy. Everything. In fact, Peter says it in verse, uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. So every good gift that God wants to give you in your life, Listen, Satan wants to devour that. He wants to ruin that because he's not ultimately at war with you. He's at war with God. And if he can ruin you, he thinks he can get to God. So he wants to ruin everything about our lives. John Piper says it this way One of the most sobering facts about life is that all humans have a supernatural enemy whose aim is to use pain and pleasure to make us blind, stupid, and miserable forever. That's Satan's goal. Satan wants to make you blind. He wants to make you stupid and he wants to make you miserable. And he wants to do that forever. So he has a strategy for tempting God's children, and we, we often make choices that ruin our lives that could be prevented if we would just understand his schemes. We see that in verse number one when he goes on in the passage, and he says, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, he begins a conversation with her, did God really, did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree of the garden? So we see the certainty of Satan himself, but we also see that he created doubt. He began to create doubt in her mind about the actuality of or the veracity of what God was telling her to do. There's two things that that Satan's trying to accomplish in this text, and he does it with us today when we face temptation. The first thing that Satan did was he questioned the word of God. He got her to question what God said. And that's exactly what happens in our lives when when we are tempted to sin and we're tempted to step outside of God's word or God's will for our life. Satan gets us to begin questioning the word of God. Satan flat out asked her, did God really say? Did God really mean that you couldn't eat of any tree of the garden? Did he really say that? Is that actually what he meant? And so the serpent began distorting God's word by presenting God as saying that they couldn't eat from any tree at all. Now, at the end of the day, Satan just wants to Qu- wants you and me to question the truthfulness of God's Word. Is it really true? Does, God, does, does, does God's Word really mean that? If Satan can get us to, to question God's Word, we're on our way to foolish and dangerous choices. you know that today? If Satan can get you to begin to question God's God's will, God's Word, God's way in your life, you're, you're on your way. You're, you're well on your way to foolish and dangerous choices in your life. This goes hand in hand with the culture that we currently are living in. We live in a very... Um, pluralistic society. We live in a society and a culture today in which there are no absolutes, there are no rights, and there are no wrongs. Now listen, there, there was a time in the Bible in the book of Judges that said, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And so in our world today, we hear this phrase a lot, well that's good for you, but that's not my truth. And so the reality is, is if we begin, even as followers of Jesus Christ, and those of us who claim to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, when we begin to question the truth and the veracity of the word of God, we begin down a path that will, that, will, that will ruin our lives, that will destroy every good thing that God has for us. It's not hard to arrive at a place of questioning God's word. Now, most of us in this room are Christians today. Most of us know Jesus Christ as our Savior, and none of us would openly admit, maybe, that we tend to question God's word. I mean, how many of you say to me today, you know, don't raise your hand, but you know, I question God's word all the time. Like, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't just openly admit that. And, and, and quite frankly, we don't always know when we're doing it. That's how subtle, right, that our deceiver is in tricking us to question what really is true. So we don't always openly arrive to that conclusion. But, it, but it's a place we find ourselves when God isn't enough or maybe when our perceived needs are not being met. We find ourselves questioning God. Maybe when you're a single, when you're a single adult, and uh, you're you're looking for um, a spouse or a mate for life, and you're like, "Man, I'm 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 getting close to thirty, and I haven't found anyone to be married to yet. I haven't found that special someone. And if I can't find that, then then God must not be good. God must not love me. God must not be noticing me. And so my life is filled with this empty void, and I can't be complete unless I have a spouse and so you begin to question does God really love me is God really faithful is God really good and then you begin looking around and you see people having children out of wedlock and you see all these all these different things going on and you're like man they're not doing it right and their life seems to be going okay and and why can't God give me what I want so then we begin to question the word of God or maybe you're going through a divorce and you're living right you're you're giving and you're you're walking with God and you're you're here in church every single week and then all of a sudden your spouse just you wake up one morning and they're like, I don't love you anymore. And now you're going through that and you're just like, man, God, I'm, I'm doing everything you want me to do, but why is this happening to me? Are you good? Are you faithful? You know, I'm. you're looking at God. Do you see me down here? This hurts. And so we begin to question the word of God. Maybe you lose a child or you can't land a job or your, your kids come down with this awful illness and it's a terminal sickness like maybe cancer or Or or, or something that's just overwhelming, or it just seems like you can't get ahead in life. Maybe just like right now, you're just stressed out. And you seem like no one knows what you're going through. No one knows the trouble I carry. All these things are going on, and you feel all alone, and you feel so stressed out. And you're like, God, if you loved me, then I wouldn't be going through this. No, the reality is, is the fact that you're going through that because God loves you. Any pain in your life that causes you to reach out for more of God is an act of mercy. You've had no reason to question God's word, and neither do we. I mean, could you imagine? I mean, I'm not trying to be um, inappropriate this morning, but Adam and Eve likely had to be the two most beautiful people that God ever created. Because the rest of us are just messed up by sin, right? Right? I'm just being honest today. And they had nothing to do. God said, be fruitful and multiply, right? And if you're married, you get that. You know what that means. And they're beautiful. They're walking around, no clothes on, naked. And here's their job, right? All they got to do is not eat of one tree and name animals. Like, I'm like, sign me up for that job. I think that looks like a zebra. That's a llama. You know? Ostrich. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I would have liked to have been there, like, when that was going on. But, you know, we laugh about that. But but we need to be reminded constantly of the goodness of God in our life. I mean, we do. I mean, there's so many good things about our life, and yet, while we have struggles, oh, man, God's grace is greater, and it's so sufficient for our every need. You've had no reason to question the Word of God, and neither do we. We can trust. We can trust that every command and principle that that God has given us is good and right. You know, the reality is, is and the world wants you to think that because you're a Christian and there are some things that that God says, hey, these are boundaries for you as a follower of Jesus Christ, and and if you're going to follow my will, here's the boundaries for your life. We tend to think that that's restrictive, when in reality, God says, here's the boundaries that you need to live within because I want you to live life to the fullest and to the greatest extent and I don't want you to miss out on the potential that I have for you and your life in my will and if you're going to reach that potential you have to live within these boundaries because the second that you step outside of these boundaries is the moment that it gets very dangerous and it's outside of my design for your life. Whenever we question God's word and we do that it always leads us to question God's goodness and I've already mentioned that today and we see that in verse number verse number five I'm going to skip down a little bit it says for God knows that when you eat of it your eyes will be open and you'll be like God knowing good and evil Satan made Eve think that God was holding something back from her do you ever feel that way you ever feel like God's just holding back on you you know I mean why didn't I get that job why couldn't I get a date with that girl why couldn't I get a date with that guy Why can't I lose weight? Why can't I I get a promotion at work? Why can't I seem to get ahead? God, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? Like, why can't I move ahead? And so oftentimes, we begin to question the the goodness of God, and we think, man, maybe God's holding back on me. And we are very quick to question God's goodness the moment we don't get what we want and when things do not go the way that we intended. Have you been there? Have you been in a place that seems so uncertain it's caused you to distrust God's providential care and provision? So we begin asking questions like this. Does God really know best? Does God really know best for me? Is he withholding something good? Ultimately, you know what it is, and I, my wife and I were talking about this week, because I, I struggle with this. I, I, I legitimately struggle with this. And I look at my wife, and I, I think, man, I got, I, got a, I got a beautiful wife. Like, I don't, I don't know how that happened, right? I don't know why she married me. She's pretty good looking, and she's actually nice, right? You know, I'm not always nice, and so she compensates for my, my – uh, you know, my weirdness, right? Amen? I look at my two girls, and 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 I'm amazed at how incredible they are and how smart they are and how beautiful they are. And I'm thankful to God that they're healthy. I'm thankful that Mike and John and Clint keep me around. I got a job. Like, I'm thankful for that. We have a roof over our heads. We, had, we ate pizza last night. That was good. It was Tony's, but it was still good, you know? You know? But does God really know best for me? Ultimately, my wife and I were talking about this this week. Is ultimately our disbelief is rooted in our lack of trust that God can truly satisfy. Because C- here's what we want: we want God plus fill in the blank. I want God plus his job. I want God plus my spouse to love me. I want God plus this raise. I want God plus this vacation. I want I want I want my spouse to act like they're not from another planet what god plus this and ultimately what god is doing is getting us to a place where we realize that he is all that we need. God gives us gifts and listen there's no strings attached. Satan promises a better way that only ensnares us and leaves us in even more ruin and even and even more brokenness. And that's that's what that's exactly what he did with Eve. Hey, look, you eat this. You're going to be like, "God." And so Satan has this tendency to overpromise and underdeliver. Satan's always going to offer you things that he can't deliver on. Are you guys with me today? He's always going to do that. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. And so what we do is we allow our circumstances to dictate our actions instead of believing God's word when we're tempted to sin. We allow our emotions about these circumstances to control what we do, and that's foolishness and very, very short-sighted. One writer said it this way, temptation is an opportunity to accomplish a good thing in a bad way. But then you see in verse number four that, and I'm not going to get into this very much today because Mike's going to talk about this next week. But I'm just trying to walk through this text. The Bible said in verse number four, but the servant said to the woman, "You, you will not surely die, right? Like you're not really going to die if you eat this fruit. Like if you eat a bite of it, like you're not going to die. You guys with me? Like you're not. And I mean outright, God says one thing, Satan says another, and she falls into the trap. Now look. I want to just stop right there for a second, right? Don't be too hard on Eve, because I, I'm telling you today, the serpent slid up to her, and the Bible says he was more subtle than any creature that God had created. And I, I don't know how long creation had been going on, and how long her and Adam had been, you know, rolling around in the garden naming animals. I mean, it could have been years. We don't, we don't have any idea, but I know this. If it were me, I'd be like, here, give me this fruit, man. I'm gonna eat that real quick, like. It wouldn't even have got to the part where he said, you won't surely die. I probably would have fell for the first conversation. And that's how we are. Because all of us are incredibly broken and depraved at a heart level. And only what is broken can be repaired by the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what happened was the serpent the serpent used the ambiguity of the penalties working to make Eve less fearful. That's what Satan does to you and to me. You're not really going to die. You start flirting with someone at work, and you that's eh, not that big of a deal. Or you start um, cheating on your taxes, or you start fudging your, 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 your time card, or on and on and on. We could go, and we start making these small compromises, and here's the deal. You know, at the end of the day, no one ever wakes up one day and says, you know what, I'm gonna, I think I'm going to cheat on my wife today, just out of the blue. No one says that. No one wakes up one day and says, you know, I think I'm going to embezzle, you know, a million dollars for my company. No one just wakes up and does, you know what, I'm going to go out and kill this person. No one, like, just wakes up that way. It's small choices over a long period of time that culminates in a ruinous decision. And that's exactly what Satan does. He just wants you to take a bite. And he deceives you. Like, God's not really going to judge you. God's not going to really punish you. God's not going to really take your life by doing this. But I want to say this this morning. Just because God is lovingly merciful and often delays the consequences of our sin, doesn't mean that he's okay with our disobedience. doesn't mean that. So in this text we see here, Satan's just, he's hes completely lying to her and hiding what is true. And again, Satan will always over-promise, he under-delivers. Listen to this. He will also exaggerate the benefits and minimize the consequences. That's the deception. He maximizes the benefits. Now look, I'm going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get in this argument with anyone today. Someone says to me, hey, sin's fun. Yeah, it is. It is. It's fun. The Bible even says that it's fun. It says it's fun for a season. It's fun for a moment. It's kind of like cotton candy. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, you ever eat cotton candy? Like, it's such a waste. Like, get me a Twix bar, man. You know? But even then, it's like, you take a bite of it, and it's like eating air. And that's the same as it is when we choose to sin and step outside of God's will and God's word for our life. Satan will exaggerate the benefits and minimize the consequences. I, I trust. I hope. We've got a lot of single adults in here today. We've got a lot of young people in our church today. Please write that down. Satan will tempt you to compromise your integrity, to compromise your character, to compromise God's will, God's plan, and God's way in your life, he's going to tempt you in so many ways. And the way he does it is by exaggerating the benefits and minimizing the consequences. And then we see in verses 6 through 8, it culminated with this damage. What Eve did was irreparable. It could not be fixed by her. Verse 6, it says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and there was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desired to, to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her. And, he, wait, and And at this point, a lot of pastors make a lot of jokes about, ah, you know, Eve ate the fruit first, right? Well, look, Eve was deceived. <laughs> Adam just flat out disobeyed. Adam just didn't care. He's like, I'll eat it. What a knucklehead! Where was his leadership in this moment? It all culminated with this with this uh, with this damage that was done. Eve made the worst mistake of her life, with Adam following right behind her. He sinned, she was deceived. Eve's choice demonstrated the brokenness of the human heart. Every time we choose sin over the Savior, we damage our lives. You might write that down. Every time you choose sin over the Savior, you damage your life. You ruin something about your relationship with God every single time. The story doesn't end with Adam and Eve in a hopeless state of brokenness, though. And I want to tell you this morning, your story, no matter how broken or how ruined your life may feel, doesn't end with the choices you've made. I, I hear that quote all the time. Your life is the sum total of the choices that you've made. That sounds good, and that may be true to a point, but I'm thankful that my life is not the sum total of my decisions that I've made. My life is the sum total of the grace of God at work in my life. I mean, if you live beyond like 10 years old, you know you've made some pretty boneheaded decisions in life. There's some things my wife and I talked about even while we were on vacation. Man, if I if I could go back, I'm going to turn 40 this year. Again, that's not old, right? The 20-year-olds are like, man, that's, man, that's old. And the 80-year-olds are like, man, you're just getting started. You know? But I think about my life, and I'm like, yeah, there are some regrets there. But every time there were regrets and ruinous decisions, I've always been met with a rescuer. Came to me with his grace. Even in the times in my life where I damaged things or I ruined things, I was met by my rescuer. Your story, no matter how broken or ruined it may feel, doesn't end with the choices you made. God delights. I mean, do you get this? God delights in delivering us from the damage of sin. And I want to be clear this morning. Because in the past I've been accused, someone said to me, you know. Some time ago, said, "You know, you don't really preach about sin anymore." And I'm gonna tell you, sin is bad. And I, I'm gonna tell you, we're gonna call sin out here, Mike, myself, and anyone that stands in this pulpit. We're gonna call sin out anywhere where the Bible is explicit and said, th- says this is wrong. We're gonna call that stuff out. Good pastors do that, amen. They call that stuff out. And if Mike or myself or John or Clint, we come to you and say, "Hey, are you stepping outside of God's will for your life? Are you stepping outside of God's word?" You ought to thank God that you have a pastor that loves you enough to get up in your grill and call you out on your behavior. like you sh- Even if we were wrong and we we're misperceiving something, you ought to thank God that we love you enough to do that. And so I want to tell you something this morning. Sin will ruin your life, but God delights in delivering us when we've damaged our life by sinful choices. God delights in that kind of stuff. The good news is that even in our brokenness, God always steps to those he loves in redemption. This is one of the fascinating things that I love about this passage. There's endless compassion in the heart of our Redeemer. If you will look at the rest of this passage, verse number seven, the Bible says that their eyes were open. Could you imagine in that moment what they felt? I mean, they were they were created without sin, and they chose sin, and all of a sudden they choose for the first time to disobey God, and they knew. The reality is they recognized that physically they were spiritually naked, but now. They recognized or uh, that they were physically naked. Now they realize that they were spiritually naked. They knew that they were lost without God. In that moment, they'd never felt that before. And I can't imagine. You know what it's like when you sin. You come, like let's say, let's say you do something this week, and you're like, oh, man, I'm struggling. I'm trying not to do this. I'm trying to live right. I'm trying to walk with God. And then you make a decision, and then you're just awash with guilt and shame. I think we feel that way, but I don't think we can fully recognize and feel the implications of this text that for the very first time in their life, they were awash with guilt and shame. So much so that they, they knew they had to do something. And they do like, what we all do is they went and they got some leaves and they covered some stuff up and they tried to fix it themselves. A southern way of saying it, you know? They tried to, they tried to make things right themselves. The Bible goes on to say in this passage of Scripture, they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths, and they heard the sound of the Lord of God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife they hid from God. Do you ever feel that way, like when you mess things up? When Satan gets, when he licks you and he gets the best of you, you're like, man, i got to climb back up this ladder with God. You know, you ever feel like that? Anyone else? Amen? You know? Like, hey, man, I just cursed my boss out today. I shouldn't have done that, right? Hey, I looked at some things this week that I shouldn't have looked at. Hey, I I did something this week. You know, whatever it is for you. And you feel like you've got to earn your way back up to God. That's exactly what's going on in this passage of Scripture. They're earning their way back, and then they're hiding from God. And some of you are like, man, I've messed my life up so much. I don't even think I should go back to church. The one place you should be is in the presence of God. Because he's the one that restores. He's the one that renews. He's the one that reconciles. And so the Lord steps into the situation. God shows up in the cool of the day, and he's looking for Adam and Eve, and he says, "Where, Adam and Eve, where are you at? Now listen, God never asks a question that he doesn't know the answer to. Amen? He was asking that question so that Adam and Eve could answer it for themselves. Then they, began, they had to begin to explain to God what had happened. What we see in this passage of Scripture is the compassion, the compassion of our deliverer. What's amazing in this passage of Scripture is you keep reading, uh, he called out to him, Adam, verse number 8, where are you? He said, Lord, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. He said, who told you you were naked? Did you eat of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman who you gave me to be with me, she gave me the fruit and the tree, and I was blame-shifting. How many of us do that? I'm not laughing because he said it was Eve. I mean, that's typical of men. We blame stuff on our wives, you know. Hey, why is the house burning out? I don't know. It's my wife's fault, you know. Men are knuckleheads like that, right? No, nah, man. He blames shits. How many of us do that? Well, it's my sister's fault. Oh, it's, it's my husband's fault. Well, it's my, my dad's fault, you know. The Lord God said to the woman, what is it you've done? The woman said, well, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all beasts, and he, he cast down punishment on the serpent. Verse 15, I love this. He says, I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, and he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's kind of weird, like, what's going on there. If you ever seen that movie, The Passion of Christ, when Jesus dies on the cross, at one part of the movie, Jesus takes his heel and he puts his head on the servant and he stamps it out. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ does. He stamps out Satan and his grace. And, and basically, in that passage of Scripture, God would prophesy that thousands of years later there would be one who would be a redeemer who would pay for the sins of Adam and Eve and not just Adam and Eve but the sins of the whole world and he would make all things new and he would restore things to the way that they would be and guess what? The story's not over because Jesus not only died but he came back from the grave and he's coming again and one day he will set up his rule and reign and we'll live for him forever and all of God's people said it's good news man now I don't know about you but the passage goes on to say, and it says this. He says, um, he says you've eaten thorns and thistles. Um, it goes on to say in the passage of Scripture that God, you know, essentially removes the leaves and he covers them with animal skins. A sacrifice had to be made. So a sacrifice was made. And what's amazing in this passage of Scripture is Jesus, our living Savior. You might want to write this down today. Our living Savior has the power to renew and restore, renew and restore. What's been ruined? Now, if I'm God, I'm like, you guys are a bunch of misfits. We're just going to do like a creation 2.0, and I'm just going to abolish you and see if I can't create something better. Like if I'm God, that's what I would do. But instead of doing that, what we see in this passage is unlike anything that we've ever seen and unlike really anything that we would ever do. Instead, God's first step towards man when he ruins his life is redemption. And I don't know about you, but that's the news that I need this morning. When I step outside of God's will, when I step outside of God's way or God's word, the last thing that I need is someone to throw more guilt and more shame and more ruin on my life. No, instead the rescuer steps in and he makes all things new. I want to to give you some truth this morning. For some of you, it's going to be hard to embrace, but I want you to know this. God loves you. God loves you. He loves you even in your brokenness. He loves you more than you can imagine. In fact, Psalm 139, 17 and 18 says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them? If I could count them, they're more than number than the sand. I awake and I'm still with you. Do you realize right now there's never been a moment in eternity or eternity past or an eternity future where you've not been on the mind and heart of God? You've always been on the heart and on the mind of God. And he loves you. And he knows that you've ruined your life. He knows that you are broken. He knows that you've made poor choices. He knows that you're dangerously close to making a, a, a ruin of your life, and he wants to step into your situation and redeem you and rescue you and restore you so that you can walk with him closely. From creation to the cross, God's plan of redemption unfolded so that everything ruined by sin could be redeemed by God's grace and love. Now listen, the devil wants to knock on your door. The devil wants to knock on your door. He probably did it this week, and you may have let him in. The devil's going to knock on your door this week, and I want to encourage you, don't let him in. He wants to attack your mind with lies, and I want to encourage you this morning, lock him out of your mind. Maybe you failed this week, maybe you failed this month, but write it down. Your failure is not final. God is not finished with you or his work in your life. I love Romans eight one because it says, There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You say, man, I really failed this week, and I failed last week. And listen, the Bible says the just man falls seven times, and the reason I believe that he's the just man is because he keeps getting back up. I want to encourage you today, continue to struggle. Listen, God knows you lust. God knows that you're bitter. God knows that you've got some things going on in your life. God knows the things that you struggle with. Tell him, God, I'm unforgiving to this person. God, I, I don't trust you in this situation. God, I'm questioning your faithfulness and your goodness in this in this, in, in this this uh, moment in my life. And just tell him that. Struggle through it with him. Fight against sin. Fight for your sanctification. Here's some steps that you can take this week. Some practical things that you can do. Replace your doubt. Satan's going to do what he can to attack your mind so that you'll doubt good, the goodness of God. Fill your mind with God's word. Let's get some old school stuff going on up here today, you know. The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. How many of you really know the word of God? And it's amazing to me how many of us who know and have been followers of Christ for some amount of time, but we don't really know the Bible. We don't really know the word of God. We don't, we don't have it hidden, locked up, and treasured in our in our hearts and our minds, so that when Satan does come and he tries to attack our mind with lies, we have no defense. And the Bible says that the, the word of God is a sword. And it's the only offensive weapon that we have in our Battlement against Satan. So I want to encourage you. Know the word of God. Immerse yourself in it. Then rest in his dependence. Never think for a moment that God isn't good and he's holding back his good gifts from you, his best stuff. Because he's faithful. He's good and kind. And then I want you to do this. Rejoice in his deliverance. Man, when you mess things up, and you do. You do. I do. I, I mess things up all the time. I make bad decisions all the time. I sin. we do that. I just went home last month to visit my mom, and we went on vacation, and I drove my kids down through the the neighborhoods that I grew up in. I (laughs) passed some street corners. I'm like, man, I remember I did such I, I had some thoughts in my mind. Like, I remember when I did some things sinfully in this neighborhood. And I wasn't awash with guilt and shame, but I rejoiced in the grace and the mercy of God. It reminded me that I'm a trophy of God's sweet grace. I don't have to hide from God. i got to run to God. When Adam and Eve sinned, they attempted to cover their sinful choice. You might have tried to cover your brokenness and attempted to hide from God. There's no need for you to hide this morning. There's no need for you to, to, to revel in your guilt and your shame because Jesus took your guilt. He took your shame and he nailed it to the cross. You cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, and God says, I remember them no more. You may not know Jesus this morning, and you feel like if you ever feel like you've ruined your life. You may feel so incredibly broken and unloved. Listen, Jesus came to deliver those of us who have ruined parts, if not all, of our lives. You know that? God doesn't love a future version of you. He loves you. Maybe, maybe you know Jesus, and you've struggled with sin and shame and temptation. You've given in ruin the best parts of your life listen jesus loves you oh man jesus loves you he wants to restore you he wants to make all things new in your life this morning if you want to talk to someone we're here to talk to you about that let us pray for you and lift you up in prayer to our gracious god don't let satan cause you or tempt you to hide in shame step out and experience god's grace and god's mercy anew in your life today with every head bowed and every eye closed how many of you say to me this morning pastor jason i know for sure that jesus christ is my savior and i know that there's been a time in my life where i've put my complete faith and trust in jesus and i know for sure that if i were to die today that heaven is my home and i'm right with god would you lift your hand and let me see that today i know for sure that i'm a follower of jesus how many of you would say to me today, man, I don't know what it means to be right with God, to be forgiven of my sins. And if I were to die today, I don't know if heaven's my home. Would you lift your hand and just let me pray for you this morning? Is there anyone that's like that that's here today? Anyone at all? Let me pray for you today. Now, how many you would say to me this morning, man, I think that I need to be rescued from myself. I've made some decisions that have potentially ruined some of the best parts of my life. And I want, I want to be renewed with God today. Would you lift your hand? Just let me pray for God's grace in your life. Thank you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and you, and uh, you. Those in the back, yeah, Amen. Anyone else? Man, I think I've ruined something. I made some bad decisions, and I I want to experience God's grace anew today, right here. Just raise your hand. Yes, sir. Amen. I see your hand. Anyone else? How you say to me this morning, Pastor? I want to resist. This. I want to resist Satan. I want to stand. The Bible says in Ephesians, stand strong in the Lord and the power of His might. I want to stand strong in the Lord. I want to stand in the power of His might. I want to to stand against the schemes and the strategies of the devil, not in my own power, but in the power of Jesus Christ who came back from the dead. Would you just lift your hand and let me see those today? Man, hands all over the room. In a moment, we're going to give an invitation, and that time is a time for you to respond to the word of God. And the reality is, is, yet while we may believe there is a devil, we don't believe seriously enough that he's out to ruin our lives. We don't realize that he's out to destroy our marriage or that he's out to ruin the lives of our young people and our kids. Man, today would be a great opportunity for you, if you've ruined some things this past week, for God to rescue you in his grace and and to recommit. Say, God, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you this week. Please forgive me. Let me talk with someone and bring my stuff out into the light. And then those of us that want to stand, that want to resist, man, let's come forward today and just say, God, I want to stand in your grace. I want to rest in your love, and I want to believe your truth. I want to find confidence in you. Father in heaven, we thank you again for the opportunity to worship you and study your word today. Father in heaven, we pray and we ask this morning for those that have made some decisions, maybe even this week, that they're just struggling with guilt and shame fear and anxiety because of the decisions that they've made, and they're not walking confidently, Lord, in your word and your will and in your way. They feel, Lord, maybe that that you're not, uh, that you don't love them. Forgiveness is a fairy tale or that they need to do some things in order to be right with you. And I pray, God, that on the first note this morning, they'd step out into the aisle, bow their knee to you and humbly surrender that area of their life to you. They'd seek out the help and the, the counsel that they need, the accountability they need to walk with you and to grow and struggle to be like Jesus Christ. God, for those that raise their hand, that we might be a people that's strong in the Lord and the power of your mind, not in our own flesh, not in our own strength, not in our own abilities, but in the power and the grace of God. Please, Lord, move in our church and help us to be the people of God that you called us to be. Help us to love you and honor you and know your word and be lights in a dark world. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet?